0: This is Mountaintop History, a podcast dedicated to telling the story of Monticello and all who lived and labored at this plantation. I'm Kyle Chilton, and today we're discussing the story of Edith Fawcett, an enslaved chef at Monticello, and her family. The story of the Fawcett family, like so many other enslaved families throughout the United States, is marked by oppression and violence, yet also resilience, tradition, and community. I spoke with Alice Wagner of the Thomas Jefferson Foundation about Edith Fawcett and her family. We chatted amongst the recreated vegetable garden at Monticello, where our conversation naturally began with food. So, right now we're out in uh, the vegetable garden. You know, I just like to think about all of the delicious food that was clearly <laughs> served here at Monticello uh, and elsewhere, of course, um, wherever Jefferson was. All of it really made for uh, delicious eating here at Monticello.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, a lot of the things we think about as kind of being like classic American foods, like mac and cheese and french fries and, uh, you know, vanilla ice cream. falling in love with those dishes and bringing them here and we can see why we love those dishes too
0: (laughs) yeah and actually you know last night um i kind of in prep for our conversation today we have a number of these monticello recipes uh kind of on on paper and so we can actually recreate them and last night i tried to make the mac and cheese I don't think I was entirely successful, um, but it does seem like you know with these recipes, uh, it's delicious, maybe not so healthy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah for the, lots of butter, you know.
0: Like even when cooking the pasta, it, I guess the recipe stipulates that you need to also be boiling the pasta in milk, so you're already like trying to get all this this kind of dairy on the pasta, and then you throw it in a casserole dish, and then just layer it with butter and cheese a butter and cheese a butter and cheese it sounds delicious but again when
1: COVID's over I want you to invite me over for this mac and cheese dinner
0: (laughs) well hopefully by then I'll actually uh, do a better job with the recipe (laughs) but yeah let's talk about who is the person who is cooking the food here at Monticello who's who's the main chef
1: yeah so we're looking at Jefferson's retirement years here because of course you know he lives at Monticello uh, on this land for his whole life. So there are several different enslaved cooks uh, throughout Jefferson's lifetime. But in the retirement years, the uh, head enslaved chef was a woman named Edith Fawcett. Uh, and Edith Fawcett uh, was a young woman, uh, only about 15 years old, when Thomas Jefferson brought her to the White House to be trained by um, a French chef there. So she was learning, you know, this, this French Uh, cuisine. Uh, But no doubt she probably, you know, already knew how to cook a little bit, uh, at least probably from, you know, as many of us do, we learn from our parents uh, Uh how to cook our first dishes. So she certainly probably uh, had already learned some of that. So she's kind of mixing in her, you know, family traditions and this French cuisine uh, and creating what we think of as typical Southern cuisine now, you know, brings in a lot of African influences, things like okra, uh, and uh, sesame, mixing them with New World things like chilies and uh, potatoes. Then you got the Old World uh, things like greens and lots of butter. I mean, that's coming from the <laughs> French cooking, you know? <laughs> um, so kind of creating a, a new cuisine. Uh, and she's certainly not the only person doing this. This is something you see all throughout the South, uh, that uh, these enslaved cooks are really making a new American cuisine uh, out of these different traditions.
0: So we're here in the vegetable garden, and as we kind of look up towards the rest of the mountaintop, we can, of course, see the dome, uh, but also we're looking at some of the rooms along the south wing of the house. We can see the kitchen, uh, again, where Edith Fawcett is kind of leading the cooking here at Monticello. The food is going to be coming out of the kitchen, uh, making its way down the cellar, and then eventually up into the dining room. Um, But also right next to the kitchen is the cook's room where Edith Fawcett and the rest of her her family live. Can you tell us a little bit about their family?
1: Yeah, so uh, Edith Fawcett married a man named Joseph Fawcett. And her maiden name, by the way, was Hearn. Uh, So she was Edith Hearn Fawcett. uh, And her husband, Joseph, was a blacksmith here uh, at Monticello. Uh, So he would have started work in the nailery uh, as a... uh, young man, probably only 10, 11 years old. Um, That's kind of how the division of labor often worked is that the young uh, boys, 10 or 11, would start in the nailery. Uh, Young women often started in the weaver's cottage, which is not too far from us uh, here at the kitchens either. Uh, And Joseph Fawcett is a nephew, by the way, of Sally Hemings, a name I'm sure many of our listeners are uh, familiar. Uh, with uh, so he is part of the larger uh Hemings family here at Monticello
0: Edith and Joseph Fawcett were a married couple, but they spent time apart from one another with Edith cooking for Thomas Jefferson in washington d c and Joseph back at the Monticello plantation in central Virginia.
1: They're a young married couple, but they are you know being forced to be separate from one another they're having No direct communication with one another. It's kind of a word of mouth uh, situation going on. Just the way that slavery forces separation on people uh, quite a lot and uh, strains these family bonds, these romantic bonds, uh, friendship bonds that people... Have with one another.
0: And that's what ultimately happens with the Fawcett family, right? We know that when Thomas Jefferson passes away, he only frees so many individuals in his will. One of them is Joseph Fawcett, uh, but the rest of Joseph Fawcett's family are not freed in the will. and and so we get a sense right that this family is it's it's a it's a trying time for them, um, in particular the auction sale um, that takes place yeah. here at Monticello and, and in Charlottesville.
1: Yeah, so by this point, uh, Edith and Joseph Fawcett have had eight children. Uh, And so uh, Joseph Fawcett's a free man. He's standing on that famous West Lawn of Monticello, probably that's where the auction was uh, held, watching as his wife and his children are being sold to different plantations. Uh, But Edith Fawcett's not just there with her children being sold. She's there with her siblings, you know, that she uh, and her siblings were born here at Monticello, grew up here Uh, and so she's not only experiencing the separation from her husband but experiencing separation from brothers and sisters many of whom uh, you know we don't have necessarily record if they ever saw each other again just knowing that she's standing on this auction block and all these people she loves you know she may not ever get to see them again doesn't know exactly uh what might be uh happening
0: it's a a moment of, of real uncertainty for everyone
1: yeah and it's a moment of realization actually for one of the faucet children uh peter Fawcett, one of their sons it's that moment on the auction block that he realizes what's happening to him he's 11 years old and he's being sold away from his mother and his brothers and his sisters his father um so yeah it's definitely this moment of heartbreak anger i'm sure terror for many people um And this is kind of the the emotional violence of slavery uh, that a lot of times we, in America, when we talk about slavery, when we think about the violence of it, we're often thinking beatings and whippings, which were certainly things that happened here at Monticello as well. But there's also this emotional violence that happens that at any moment, you know, based on somebody else's whims, that a person can lose their loved ones.
0: The story of the Fawcett family like so many other enslaved families, was also one of resilience. That in spite of the oppression and violence they faced in their everyday lives, they resisted slavery in different ways.
1: So, but Joseph Fawcett, he's not gonna just, you know, let that stand. Uh, So he, as we mentioned earlier, was freed by Thomas Jefferson in Jefferson's will. He's still working as a blacksmith. And he's gonna reach out to Uh, the black community for help Uh, that, you know, it's important to note that not every uh, black person in Charlottesville was an enslaved person. There was a a free black community here as well, Uh, and so they had tight community bonds of their own. Uh, This is going to include some of Joseph Fawcett's siblings. Uh, So Joseph Fawcett, his mother, Mary Hemings, uh, was uh, Sally Hemings's older sister. She uh, is going to be purchased uh, by a uh, Mr. Bell. Uh, so he was, uh, like Jefferson, a free white slaveholder. Purchases Mary Hemings, uh, and they end up living in a common law marriage. Uh, so they were not legally ama- allowed to marry. In Virginia at that time, there were laws banning interracial marriages, laws which I should point out remain on the books until 1967 uh, with the uh, famous Loving v. Virginia Supreme Court case. Uh, so he's not legally allowed to marry her, uh, but in all other respects, she's his wife. So Joseph Faw- Fawcett has these half siblings who, uh, you know, are uh, you know, being born and raised in a very different environment. Uh, and so he reaches out to them for help get, saving his wife and his children. One of his sisters uh, married a free black man named Jesse Scott. Uh, and Jesse Scott, with help from uh, Mary Hemings Bell, Uh, is going to purchase Edith and the two youngest sons. Uh, So they're going to purchase them uh, in order to make sure that somebody else doesn't get a hold of them, maybe sell them further south until Joseph can save up all the money uh, to save all of his family. They don't have all the money to purchase all of the children. So some of his other brothers or some of his other children uh, end up on other plantations. Uh, And so you can imagine, not just for him, but what that would be like for Edith Fawcett, you know, that she's able to make sure that her two youngest are with her, but there's probably always this worry about the other children, the ones that she doesn't have with her, that, you know, doesn't have in her line of sight, doesn't know, you know, what their slaveholders uh, might do with them. Uh, And in fact, Peter Fawcett, uh, the one I mentioned earlier, uh, his slaveholder refuses to sell him uh, to, Uh, his father Uh, and so Peter Fawcett resolves that he is going to get free or die trying. He uh, continues to learn how to read and write uh, despite prohibitions from his new slaveholder. He uh, escapes uh, from that plantation two different times. Uh, He's caught both times but after that second time the slaveholder decides that he is too much trouble and he's going to put him up on the auction block. Uh, Fortunately some friends of the family got word of this and were able to purchase peter uh and uh he was able to reunite with his family who had now moved to ohio however this doesn't happen until peter is 35 years old so he's 11 when he stole away from his family 35 uh, by the time he is able to reunite uh with them
0: so alice you know one of the things we talk about a lot here at monticello is uh ways in which the enslaved community resisted the situation they all found themselves in. Um, And of course, Joseph Fawcett, his friends, his family, uh, his wife, their immediate family, all their actions, of course, are a part of this resistance. But also, you know, even when we started our whole conversation about food, all the delicious uh, Mm -hmm. meals that um, Edith Fawcett is making, all of these are in a way, uh, these folks basically claiming their humanity, right? Yeah. Like the, the food is handing down of traditions. It's, it's, it's being able to preserve um, culture um, and, and create new forms of culture. An example of the many ways in which folks resisted yeah. against the inhumanity that was forced upon them um, through slavery.
1: Yeah, community, I think is so important to this aspect of it. Um, I actually just gave a tour uh, to some, uh, virtually to some fourth graders from uh, Richmond. And, uh, you know, one of them said like, well, we're we're black people helping other black people. You know, no such a succinct way to put it that like, yeah, absolutely they were. But you know, so these, these community bonds that people develop, not just within the Monticello community, but with other places, these bonds of community are an incredibly important way that enslaved people uh, are resisting the system uh, of slavery. This has been another episode of Mountaintop History, a collaboration podcast between WTJU and the Thomas Jefferson Foundation.
0: This episode of Mountaintop History was made possible in part by a major grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities, Join us for new episodes every two weeks on Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and the Virginia Audio Collective.
1: To learn more about Monticello or to plan your next trip, visit us online at monticello.org.